This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is insuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, it is Midlife Mail Podcast time. Greg Scheinman here with you today. Getting ready to kick off another incredible week with another incredible guest. I want to thank you so much for joining me this week and always. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the program. Leave us a nice review. Hit that five-star rating. Tell your friends, your family. Spread the word around. Show some love for the Midlife Mail Movement. I greatly appreciate it. This week on the show, Mr. Ken Bridge. Ken is a prolific entrepreneur. He is the founder of Delicious Concepts, a hospitality restaurant group here based out of Houston, Texas. He is also the man behind Ruby, an incredible new technology platform that is going to change the face of the restaurant business. On top of that, he is a husband. He is a father. He is a former punk rocker. The guy is prolific in every way, shape, and form, and I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to come into contact with him, to share some time. I now consider him a really good friend, a like-minded individual, somebody I just can sit down, talk to, learn from, and we just had a, we just had a great time. Um, some of the concepts you may know Ken for everything from Dragon Bowl, Pink's Pizza, Lola's, the new Millie's, Ritual in the Heights. I mean, he is one of the guys who really revolutionized the Heights area of Houston. He brings a lot of color. He brings a lot of flavor. He brings an incredible entrepreneurial spirit to everything he does. And the guy's just got a great philosophy and perspective on life overall. So with that, let's get it going with Ken Bridge this week on the Midwife Mail podcast. Ken, welcome. Howdy, Greg. Awesome. Rodeo time. Howdy, howdy time, right? Rodeo time in Houston? All hail the rodeo. <laughs> everyone, everyone stops. Are you and going? Bows down to the rodeo. You go or you bail? Uh, Gwen, I think, is, is on the list, and we always, at least once a year, bring the kids to the carnival. There you go. Yeah. Do you take the kids to the carnival? My kids want to go on their own. Oh. Okay, so okay. my 16-year-old is going with his friends. He just told me that. Um, and we're in that debate with the 13-year-old right now about whether or not he can or cannot go with his friends Solo? day or night group, or do I have to do that parental like, you know, ten yard back, you know, walk where I'm on the premises, you know, but have, I'm not cool enough to actually be around them. Have you actually? <laughs> have you actually done? done I, that? I yeah. did that last yeah. year. Okay. Last year, the decision was, you can go with your friends, a few of you guys. But I got to be there. So another dad and I did the walk and talk, you know, behind them. <laughs> I've never, I've never, uh, I've never got the opportunity to experience that. But um, interesting. When they were younger, yeah, I mean, all the time they actually wanted to be with us. <laughs> now they want the cash card, okay, <laughs> and they want to be with their friends. It's that's a that's a five hundred dollar uh, 
guaranteed minimum for the carnival if you take the kids and the family and that's a couple hours and boom just end up you know understanding you're going to spend three to five hundred dollars it certainly can be god bless my wife this was happening yesterday too she apparently got some deal you know like you buy these things in advance this is the whole topic of conversation the last night. yeah the, the two for ones and everything and it was about an hour of technological challenge oh, to try to boy. transfer them to to my son's account you give up and you're like screw it man exactly then you spend twice as much you're like fuck it okay we're We're just gonna put it down (laughs) um i when we sound like old timers right now right we sound like our parents when we say you know back in our day Mm -hmm. times were different and they they were certainly and times were different for their parents and so on and so forth times will be different for our kids when they get into our position now but Definitely, absolutely, positively, would I not fucking let my 13-year-old go to the rodeo with their crew by themselves, man. (laughs) Too much opportunity to get in trouble over there. I see the shit going down when we're at the rodeo Uh with these kids running around and getting into... Into shit, so. Yes, and I'm much more of a day overnight, you know? So it's yes. like, okay, I also need to be able to see you, like actually That's right. see you. You know, nothing right. good really happens at That's night right. either. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a constant. And how old are yours now? Oldest, 20, going on driving me fucking crazy, man. Um, middle nine just turned nine and and the youngest cash will be his birthday is actually this weekend so he will be six that's awesome yeah. happy birthday cash we'll hey try cash to happy get birthday. this out right before his birthday <laughs> there too well awesome we could obviously just jump right in and do this all day long um but i want to backtrack a little bit um and start you know just on on the topical you know because you came walking in You've got you've got the earpiece in. You're on the call. You're making coffee. I mean, you've got a hundred things, you know, that are that are going on. Um, what? How do you navigate kind of the shit that just gets in the way of the day you have planned? Because that seems like okay. I had a, I got an agenda. I got things I want to do, and there's stuff that you know by eleven o'clock in the morning has derailed it, you know, or is trying to derail it. Nonstop. Mm-hmm. Nonstop. Welcome to my world. Um, you know, you get, I think with anything, you get used to and you learn how to deal with, uh, with these situations. And part of, and you know, you and I talked about it before, your day is very similar in a lot of ways. Um, it's very unpredictable. We have some predictability, but I think the majority of our predictability is unpredictability. And you just develop skill sets you develop techniques to really counter all of this stuff and this morning uh, i you know of course i had the 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 vision of getting here 30 45 minutes early getting coffee made having shit ready to go for you as opposed to me walking in and having to be on, on the phone and you had everything set up but and it of course it's a critical call you know they oftentimes are critical calls. This is, you know, pertaining to a deal we've been working on forever. And as always, you know, there's always seems to uh, be shit that comes up 11th hour and it's all critic. It's all 911, right? Mm-hmm. So we call it the oh shit list. And um, that was part of the oh shit list uh, this morning when I walked in. But you deal with it. And I think as we all become a little, um, you know, bit older a little bit more mature and 
more capable of handling all of this stuff, you know, the, the space and the field that you're in, you just, I think you learned to, to handle it. Uh, some people don't. Mm-hmm. Some people flip out, man, and, you know, start burning shit and, you know. You know, you talked, though, about developing techniques to cope and to, and to manage. What's your process? What are some of those techniques that you've developed over the years? Dude, you're going to ask me this stuff, man. I'm not that technical, Greg. You know that. Um, and I'm, I like that you clean, you cleaned the oh shit wall. Like, there's no, like, last time shit. I was here, there was oh shit okay. all over the walls. I, okay, I, so I noticed I that side. I didn't see the back of I this, can't yeah. look around and just pull stuff off your walls anymore, which, by the way, I love the fact that the entire wall of where we're sitting is basically these, these giant whiteboards for idea generation and the oh shit list and everything else that's going on. But I don't want to get, but the techniques, okay? The uh, techniques, um, for example, you know, for me, um, having to multitask, having to deal with, um, you know, uh, multiple concepts, multiple units. Again, you get, you get skilled and you get better versed as, as you get more experience. So the actual technicalities and the, the technique side, um, I didn't go to school. I didn't study any of this shit. You know, I didn't, I didn't go to culinary school. I sure certainly did not go to business school. And I had to really learn this shit from the streets, man. And that's true. I mean, that's where I came from. I don't necessarily recommend it for everyone. I would have loved to have had a mentor or somebody guide me in the early years and say, hey, dumbass, you need to at least take a couple of courses and at least understand business 101. Uh, That would have saved me some grief and some effort. But I think for me and, um, you know, uh, again, you and I talked briefly about it before, but I look back and I personally would not want that any other way. I, you know, I, I enjoy, you know, coming up hard and, you know, uh, the school of hard knocks, as, as they would say. But for me personally, the technique side of it, um, man, I, I'm just running my damn mouth, Greg. I don't, I don't have a technique for that. <laughs> I mean, I deal with shit, you know, it comes in and I try to uh, handle them as, um, as cool and calmly and as collectively as I possibly can. I wasn't always like that. You know, mm-hmm. when I was younger, I was more inexperienced. And so I handled shit a little more irrationally, just like most of us do. And, you know, we tend to panic and, um, you know, you, using those other type of techniques. But I try to stay a lot more calm and just, you know, what do they say? Don't sweat the small shit, right? So. <laughs> To- totally. Did that answer your question? I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, we're you know, I go off on tangents uh, and babble. So, and I want to get into your into your background, but I'll stay in this just for a, a second more. Uh, outlets, you know, you talk about kind of not really having you know specific techniques, but what are some of the outlets that you have to kind of step away from some of this organized chaos of the business that that you have? My number one outlet and. If anyone knew me three years ago, they would not believe what they're hearing right now. But my number one outlet for me personally is, is um, you know, the fitness side, going to the gym, working out, you know, m- maintaining um, a, uh, a routine, maintaining structure, regimen, all that stuff. You obviously know that extremely well. And it's something that literally like two or three years ago, um, my wife and I would like, you know, we, by the way, we love to make fun of everyone. So no one's safe. I don't give a shit. Like I'm 
this snowflake shit. And like, if you know me, I don't give a shit. You can talk all the mad shit you want about me, but I, I love to make fun of everyone. But more importantly, the person that I make the most fun of is myself. Mm -hmm. So my wife and I, we love to, you know, when we're, you know, traveling and we're in the airport, that's one of our favorite um, kind of uh, elements to make fun of people. But at the same time, as we're talking shit about people and making fun of them, we damn well hope and expect that these people are looking at us and making equal, <laughs> if not more fun of us, right? Yeah. Like, who's it? Like, whatever. Like, this dude wears all black. Who the hell does he think he's Johnny Cash? All these <laughs> but uh, so uh, getting back to that, the gym, I, I love it, man. We used to make fun of, uh, like everyone, you know, running around in casual workout clothes and we used to love to talk shit about people like that. Now, we're those fucking people that at any chance we get, you know, to be comfortable and kind of just uh, wear, uh, you know, joggers or something like that, you know. But it's an interesting evolution, you know, how I think people change and over, over time, you know, and how you evolve. And I don't, obviously age plays a role, you know, in that, but I think it's more so personal development, you know, we're just gravitating towards different things as you navigate, you know, through, through life. Does that, or has it forced you to change certain relationships or, or behaviors? Like I know when I kind of transitioned more from night to day, you know, let's say health and wellness became more of a priority and a focus, you know, to me, something had to give, you know, I couldn't be out as late, you know, the happy hours had to get swapped, you know, for, yeah. for other things. And because of that, some other relationships, you know, kind of naturally fell by the wayside. You know, with some, there was some resentment, there were some client expectations, there were some friend expectations and, and my personal world was not aligning necessarily. And I found really quickly, you can't do both you know, in there. At least I can't, it's not sustainable, you know, for me as you've kind of changed and evolved, or has that happened to you at all? Absolutely. Case in point, I was having a conversation last week with a friend of mine, and um, James, he several times a year will go on cleansings. And so that's really just a counter of his mad, mad, just, you know, going on. And this kid, James, you know, you work your ass off and he's solid, solid dude. Uh, but he puts his body to the test so much and that's him, you know, he, but he'll go and, um, um, I, I think this, this last cleanse, typically it's a 30 day cleanse and he'll do that two to four times a year. This last cleanse was a 90 day cleanse and him and I joke about this all the time. And if, if you've done, I think last year I did the January thing and that was shocking for me, you know, not to, you know, uh, announce that I'm some mad alcoholic, but I mean, be, being in this industry, as you just yeah. mentioned, mm -hmm. it's super challenging, but doing the whole January for a month, um, it was great for me, you know, at the end of the day, shit, man, if you can give up everything bad, it's just absolutely beneficial for you. The challenge is, you know, giving everything up, but so absolutely you can't, let me put it this way. Correct me if I'm wrong, Greg. If you, and you abstain, you don't, you don't drink or anything like that. Um, 
But if you do, and especially in my industry, if you say, listen, man, I'm going to just not drink for a month, mm -hmm. guess what that really means? That means you're not going to fucking see me for a month because I learned that really quickly. If you think and you kid yourself that you're going to go out and drink fucking Topo Chico while everybody else is, you know, um, cocktailing, it just doesn't work. Um, and when you see everyone around you um, spir spiraling, downward, you know, in a, in a short period of time and going from normality to just idiotic. It's just that that gets old really quick. Right. So uh, you just can't, you can't go out. I mean, I guess, I guess you would be different, right? Because your tendencies are opposite. So you go out and your expectation level is like, Hey man, I'm either used to dealing with these idiots when they get a few cocktails in them or you just avoid them. I don't know. How do it, you handle that? It, it's tough. Um, one, I I drink. I don't make a declaration that I do not drink. Oh, you um, do drink. I do. I okay. drink infrequently now. Okay. But I've also been, you know, I think I'm one of those individuals where like, if I told myself, okay, I don't drink, all I'd be thinking about is when I'm going <laughs> to, is when I'm going to drink again. And That's I funny. love to drink. Yeah. I was great at it. The yeah. problem was. You're too good at I, it. Yeah. I was yeah. real, like, like most people with addictive personalities, mm -hmm. um, you get really good at it. And Wait, then you, you have like, an addictive personality? No. <laughs> yeah. No shit. No. So, you know, I kind of just, <clears throat> again, decided over time, or time decided for me, I wasn't feeling as well when I was waking up, wasn't recovering as well as, as I used to or needed to, and something had to give. So I'd scale it back, scale it back, scale it back, but I could never really commit myself to saying I'm going to go to zero because it felt so final. Yeah. And it would almost like kind of activate this craving mechanism. Like That's a great point. And I start counting days. So I kind of have this little rule right now or God, I really don't drink when I go out. I drink when I'm home, ironically enough. Like if I'm cooking dinner with my wife or I'm walking the dog or I want to have a glass of wine or whatever, I can do it and I can control it, you know, in, in that environment. Out, social anxiety, one turns to two, whatever it may be. Um, I don't control it as well when I go out. So I try not to, which gets back to your point. Then I'm kind of like, well, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, really? Like, oh. okay, it's it's a weird it's a weird situation. Um, I don't know whether I'll, I'll, if that even answers your question too, or I'll get fully fully comfortable with it. But it is the nature and the beast that there are places that I have to be and times that I need to be there. Yeah, I do try to get in and out as quickly as I can back to my comfort zone and do more things with more people yeah. in the morning and in the day. You know? I don't I don't I can't control it whether I'm at home or out or whatever. And that what you kind of made me think of at home, I typically drink my beverage of choice at home. I mean, I, I'm, I love it all, but wine, I typically drink more when I'm at the house. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is my wife, she doesn't really drink that much um, sometimes, but uh, she's actually getting into wine more now, which is great. But you open a bottle of wine and you're like, fuck, man. What am I going to do? I'm going <laughs> to let that bottle of wine go bad, you know? So uh -huh. you, you feel guilty about it and you end up killing the bottle. Then you're like, oh, you know, maybe I'll open another bottle. But um, now nah, the joke in my house is the opposite. I mean, God bless my wife again. She's got a hollow leg. I mean, she, she, <laughs> so I don't know where it goes, or how yeah. she, but she enjoys it. She handles it as well. She seems to be able mm -hmm. to get up. If I had that capacity again, you know, and not to believe it would be a different story. Right. I don't really have that, that capacity. Um, I want to circle back though to your background. 
I want to talk another hour about alcohol. We could do. We right could now. do. I'm, I'm we could do a whole yeah. show about uh, a whole show about alcohol. We could do a whole show about hospitality in the industry. Mm-hmm. We, I, I did it all when I was younger, and I've stripped myself of everything. And and when I, when I make my mind up, I'm cold turkey. Mm-hmm. I don't have to twelve step anything. I don't have to think anything through. I'm just like I'm done with it. And um, so what do I have now? I've I've got. Um, I've got booze every once in a while, you know, I, I stripped myself from every other, you know, bad, um, addiction and habit. But, um, I have, I mentioned to you started drinking coffee, I think mm-hmm. on a pretty regular, serious basis. And for me, that's maybe, you know, three to five cups a week, depending. So I'm pretty proud of myself about that. That's, that's my vice. Coffee Coffee's my vice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, what not, the hell were we not talking at all. About, it's man? all on you. Any, it's all on you anyway. <laughs> um, okay, but I'm gonna not. I gotta feel this whole thing is gonna work. We're gonna work backwards. Okay. Then, because what you mentioned now also leads me to your kids again. How do you teach, mentor, and approach your kids when it comes to? experimentation or substances or anything. You got a 20 year old, you got a 13 year old. Again, I'm dealing with this with a 16 year old and with a 13 year old right now. And we've been through it. I don't mm-hmm. think our fucking kids are yeah. going to fool us. <laughs> and there's nothing they're really probably going to do. At least I'll only speak for myself that I haven't probably <laughs> or definitely Absolutely. done, yeah. tried, been through mm-hmm. so on and so on and so forth. Um, how do they see you now? Have they always seen you that way? Do you kind of, hidden certain things, you know, and how transparent and upfront are you with your approach to this? That's, that's interesting. So my only experience is with my oldest, you know, as I mentioned, a nine-year-old and a about to be six-year-old, they really don't have a bunch of drug questions or substance abuse questions that they have right now that could change in the next year. But uh, for now, yeah, for now, it's been my oldest son. And uh, I'll tell you, honestly, I've always been this type of person. I'm not going to be forthcoming and -hmm. forthgiving when it comes to this shit. Like, absolutely not. But I'm not going to be a fucking hypocrite if, if I'm asked about something, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bullshit about it. But, um, so, you know, these conversations have come up and the way that I handle them is kind of two part. The first is, you know, of course, you know, I've tried most everything when I was young, you know, on an experimental level. Um, a lot of things stuck, you know, some things did not stick. I just, you know, preference wise. And, um, I, I, I don't, I don't smoke pot, man. I, I'm cool with it. You know, as long as you're not, um, you know, an idiot and, you know, I handle it like, you know, if you're going to experiment, you know, you can't be stopped. We know that everyone knows that as teenagers coming up and, you know, adolescents, the whole world can tell you like, Oh no, that's a bad idea. And you're going to do it if you have the will Mm -hmm. to do it anyway. But, what I try to, um, what I try to point out is, you know, um, if you're going to experiment, experiment, but just know that I personally didn't have anybody advising me or kind of mentoring me, and certainly, you know, m- me and my parents had a different relationship. Um, but uh, you know, I, I've had several talks with uh, with my oldest and said, listen, man, I didn't really, you know, I pot didn't stick with me it made me paranoid at the time and stuff like that and of course it was really shit pot back then like now it's amazing shit so wow uh it was like literally 
Uh, all you kids out there, there, you know, pot used to be like the actual leaf on a pot, by the way, <laughs> on a on the plant, but um, uh, not these purple, like sparkling buds. And anyway, you just walk in. Yeah, these, exactly. Walk yeah. into these dispensaries right. now, half the places, That's and right. pick out anything and everything you it's want and figure it out. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's completely yeah. it's completely different. But uh, the other part of that is, you know, making sure, like I mentioned, uh, making sure to let you know them know that you know ultimately this is going to be a bad element in your life ultimately so knowing that you can't really stop them um but again um you know not sheltering and not acting um like you know we have no idea yep Uh, it's a good point i think just to categorize it as this will be at some a negative element in your life at some point i'm gonna it, it really is. I mean, there are things in categories, positive categories or negative categories. You may derive some enjoyment, you know, from this. Gonna, right. But overall, this will be in the negative it's, category it's fuck of you your life yeah. of, over, overall. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about your background a little bit. Where were you born? Where were you raised? You mentioned, you know, a relationship with your, with your family. And you've said a couple of times not really having mentorship or things like that. What's your background? Born in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, grew up uh, when I was when I was younger, and then back into my young adulthood, pretty much in Southern California, San Diego, um, L.A. Lived in Koreatown there, um, and then Houston in '82, I believe. Our um, we moved as a family. Well, let me back up. My mother and father uh, separated, and the weirdest thing was. I have two other brothers, one younger brother and one older brother at the time. I have two more brothers now. Um, but um, we, we all packed up and, and came, to, came to Houston with my dad, which is rare, right? Most of the time, if uh, parents split up, the kids go with the mom. But we came to Houston with my dad, and we didn't have shit. We were completely, um, completely broke. Uh, my father um, uh, had a failed business at the time, and... So he came here, like most everyone else in the early 80s, the construction boom, and he was a tradesman. And um, uh, my older brother and my dad came um, initially uh, on recon and saved up a few bucks and then sent my younger brother and myself on a Greyhound bus. At the time, my mom was living in Michigan and uh, sent us down. And we showed up, I think it was a Saturday, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and my brother had this 65 Nova that he bought, you know, previously. And, like, we, we lived in Indianapolis for, like, less than a year. My mom bought this restaurant from one of her crazy Korean friends that was kind of like a Denny's. And it was, I think, this plan to sort of, um, you know, maybe reconcile with my dad. And I think the purpose was for us, the kids, and all that typical bullshit. And so that didn't work out. You know, my dad started, you know— dating the waitresses and stuff like that and pissed my mom off and, you know, typical thing. So uh, we came here to Houston and our welcome was, first of all, the um, the apartment that they were living at was uh, in the uh, Gulfgate area, Gulfgate Mall. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't, um, you know, the, the finest apartment. Uh, I'll just put it that way. And we roll up in broad daylight and my brother's, 65 when you think 65 nova that's it exactly the craigers this i mean i don't know if you know 
most everyone knows about this, but that was that was the shit. The Kragers, the six by nine Jensen speakers, the Alpine stereo. I mean, he he had it mac'd out, and it was on blocks, and they stole his <laughs> wheels. It's like literally in broad daylight. That's you know that's where we were, but. It was such an exciting time, and my brother had already got, um, uh, he was working with my dad, but he got a second job at, um, at uh, Astroworld at the time. And my brother's the type of person that, like, in the first couple of days, that's it. He's going to befriend everyone. He's going to be a gatekeeper. And so we had it made. We moved here in the summer of 82, and we were at Astroworld almost every day. And uh, Okay, back on track here, Greg. <laughs> so uh, Houston, and then, you know, as I um, kind of completed high school, I'll say completed, I never technically graduated. As I finished my senior year, um, I immediately moved with uh, with my best friend to D.C. and spent about a year in D.C. Then, you know, um, ran uh, uh, my welcome out of D.C. most likely and moved back to Houston. And so I had this pattern. I'd go back to Cali and hang out there for a while and then fuck shit up enough to like have to be ran out of Cali and then come back to Houston. I did that quite a few times until I just, because at the time I felt like I couldn't stay in Houston. There was nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, for me, uh, but eventually like most of us do, we learn to really love Houston and, uh, similar to your story, I think, um, uh, you know, and, and it just really, really grows on you. Now it's, I'm very, very, thankful and i'm extremely proud to call houston home uh, but that's kind of in a nutshell when did you start to figure out kind of who you were and what you wanted to do and you've you've done a lot of things also i mean in the industry that we're talking about here i don't know if we've even specifically said it, it really is hospitality and, and technology you know now but when did you start to kind of figure out okay this is the path I want to go down, or this is maybe what I want to do. Were you working in restaurants? Were you attracted to the to the bar scene, or what was it that kind of got you on on the path? By the way, I appreciate the fact that you're like this grounded sort of counter to my like crazy um, tangent sort of you know trying to answer your questions and then. By the way, you have you, no fucking you, idea how no, hard no, this no. is. Like, this is, no, you, I do this for what, the sole reason of trying to figure out if I can actually focus when, on anything whatsoever. When we, <laughs> <laughs> when we talked last time, we were like a couple of uh, giddy schoolgirls. And I, I mean, we should have recorded that because that would have been some good quality listening because we were just going off. And so, but I appreciate the we, fact that you're reeling it back in. You're hey, we can do, we can down, do that so. too. We can do that too. Trust but, uh, me. Okay. No, I, um, so what, what was the question? <laughs> What what was the question? It was something to the effect of of at what point Did you started I, okay. to kind of hone in on what it is you want to do, which is getting into the hospitality industry and kind of how how that happened. Damn, um, I'm I'm trying to really kind of keep the audience in mind and give them like this right because everybody these days is like, oh, you have to have a plan, you've got to have you know vision and a goal, and this is all true, but. Um, I'm trying to keep that in mind, but you know, the left side of my brain is, it's (laughs) it's true in a way, but the left side of my brain is like, Oh fuck man. Like the, what I'm doing right now, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is I had two or three failed businesses prior to that. Um, I'm a, I'm a quick study. I think um, I'm kind of one of these kind of not a road road scholar. I mean, that would be a 
too high of a level of a, um, a moniker to put on me, but in a way I'm able to, I'm capable of figuring a lot of things out. Um, so this industry, hospitality, in, in particular restaurant, um, you know, we, as I mentioned earlier, my family had a, a restaurant in Indianapolis, kind of a Denny's style. And at a very young age, I was like 12 or 13 or whatever that was, um, maybe a little bit older. Uh, I worked all stations, man. I worked the dish pit, which I was super proud of. Like literally at the time, nobody could have washed dishes and could have maintained their, uh, you know, the, the, the pit like I could. Everything had to be like spotless. And so I would move up and then I would kind of uh, run a little fry station. Then I ran the grill. And so at some point, I really mastered all of the stations. So I had inherently at that point, I had the capability and I had some experience under my belt to actually, you know, uh, work in a restaurant. And then on top of that, I've worked every position in a restaurant. Um, I was, this is, this is something cool. I was the first, damn, this is so fucked up, man. I, I, I'm trying to think like HR, this is going to be a nightmare for somebody. I don't know if it's on my end or on, on their end, but, um, won't be on uh, mine. Okay, so Don, it's going. Donna Rocky, uh, is Donna Rocky still around? Have you heard of Donna Rocky, the Mexican restaurant? So they had a few locations here in Houston. I think they still have one, but anyway, cats out of the bag. Fuck it. So they had a Donna Rocky on Westheimer and Hillcroft. And I needed a job, and you know, waiting tables obviously is your best opportunity of getting the most money in the shortest period of time in this industry, and then you fuck everything up from there. But um, so I was at the time, I was the first. This is so bad. God damn, this is bad. I was the first non-Hispanic hire that they ever had at that location. This is so bad. Damn. Okay, too late. And uh, I, I, I was. It was great, man. They, they. They were hesitant for some reason. I bullshitted my way into the position, and they loved me. And I like two or three weeks went by, and I was just killing it, you know. And and I was killing it until they finally trusted me, right? They it's kind of kung fu style, right? The master, like <laughs> this Don Rocky man, never hired anybody that was non-Hispanic, and they, you know, hired this half Korean, half white dude. And finally, it took me three or four weeks, and I finally gained their trust. And what do I do? I fuck them, man. Like. We had a four-bedroom apartment near uh, Briar Forest and Willcrest, literally a four-bedroom apartment, and it was me and three of my high school buddies. So, yeah, your imagination is <laughs> correct right now. We, and it was right by the pool. Um, so it was this unbelievable, picturesque, like, Fourth of July weekend Saturday. Pure blue sky. We're in the pool. Um, I, I, you know... Alcohol definitely was involved. There were other things probably involved or whatever. But the point is this. I was having the most amazing time, and I remember looking up, and I knew I had to go into work. And I looked up in this perfectly blue sky, and I've never felt better at the time. And at that point, obviously, I had no choice. I mean, you understand, I had no choice. So I, at least I attempted to call in, and they're like, no, get your ass in here. I'm like, Carlos was my manager. I'm like, Carlos, I love you, man, but it's not happening. So... Um, I don't know where the <laughs> hell were we going with this, but where the hell were is we, this, Greg? Is this okay? So now you don't have this job anymore, okay? I, I certainly the, don't it, have the job anymore. But is oh, this the time you figured okay, I better no, no, open no, up okay. my own place? And, an hour, no, an hour later, yeah, that was. Uh, so I had some experience. So I washed dishes. I worked every position. So our first restaurant, my wife and I, um, uh, wonderful, wonderful person. I literally just met my wife at the time. This was uh, Dragon Ball. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree, everybody. I was an idiot for shutting down Dragon Ball. Um, <laughs> you're right. Everyone, you're right. But um, 
so we found this uh, we live you know obviously in the heights um i knew at the time um uh greg mathis who's a good friend of mine now but he was uh, we didn't know each other and he happened to be the landlord and the developer for the, where um our uh, incubator and concept space is still over on 11th street and it's blackbird is a now and billy if uh, you're crushing it man i'm so proud of you i love you man um, my brother billy ken is uh just killing it at blackbird if you have not tried blackbird you've got to get over there and check out what Billy's doing. He's, he's a genius and he's just, he's crushing it. Anyway, uh, that was our first uh, restaurant, my wife and I. And when we met, I literally had no money. I just had another failed business at the time. And, uh, I, I was, uh, digging change out of, out of the console of my car. And I was too embarrassed to tell my new girlfriend at the time that, um, I don't think we have any money to like even you know go to dinner or whatever. So um, those were those were good old days. But we somehow I managed to talk Greg into giving me an opportunity when my credit was shit. I literally didn't have any money. It took us over a year to open that restaurant because we were completely not undercapitalized. We had no capital to open that. I had no business. When I look back now, I had no business. Um, even attempting that and and you know Greg gave me an opportunity some other people gave me a really um, great opportunity so we did that no kids at that time no No. marriage at that time uh no Eric was so 15 years ago Eric was like five or six and about how old were you around that time Uh, shit Greg you're gonna make me do reverse math right now I told you we're gonna work backwards (laughs) I'm 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 52 now so 15 from 52 is 37. Is something that right? Like, something like that. Don't yeah. make me do yeah, that. No. So, <laughs> Don't turn, so, this, so turn this around on in me. In my 30s. <laughs> yeah. I was just approaching my 30s at that time. But uh, it was it was, it was was exciting, but it was scary. Um, but we did it. And I, I think the moral of the story is we managed to open. My wife and I, she was so fucking supportive, and she continues to be so amazingly supportive. Um, and we it was, it was Christine and I there seven days, bell to bell. And that's what we did. You know, I was, we did um, a large portion of, um, of the operations and we had a few employees that we had as well, but we were there the entire time. And it was such an incredible feeling. If, if you've ever been like extremely like broke, like most of us have been and somehow you get this crazy like random opportunity to actually like this is a crazy concept follow me here to actually pay your fucking bills on time and to actually have all of your bills monthly paid and then on top of that actually saving a few dollars in your bank account and then you know actually spending money on nice things every once in a while i know it's a crazy concept but that's Mm -hmm. what we went through at the time and it was so liberating because uh, I think most of us, we we grew up. I don't I don't know. You know, my parents never had money or anything mm-hmm. like that. But um, I think a lot of us um, we spend a lot of our life, certainly most of our, our our young adult life, just being so fucking broke and so poor and not knowing. Greg, were you in this category, or am so I, I making you, you uncomfortable okay. right now? No, like I, I don't know. You, it I doesn't had, matter what category you're in. It doesn't. I think it doesn't matter what category you're in. Um, I grew up on the opposite end. So I want to ask you also about what your relationship is is with money because I find this topic fascinating. You know, where I grew up, mm-hmm. um, you had nowhere to go but down. That's what I know. And we all grew I didn't know anybody 
that was not only not broke, mm. but I didn't know anybody that wasn't, by all intents and purposes, ridiculously loaded. Right. Like, it wasn't, are you getting a car for right. your 16th or 17th birthday? It was, mm. what color BMW are you, are you getting? It was, I mean, every vacation, you were on a plane. Every summer, you were at a, I mean, it was, looking back on it, you go, this is so fucking wild. Um, because it was this incestuous up, upper class, upscale, you know, kind of community. And it's still weird for me to go go back home. Are you? Um, I'm sorry, Upper yeah. East Side, Upper West Side, New York. So or? I was uh, North Shore of Long Island. Ah, okay. okay. Yes, even more ritzy. Yeah. most people don't know. Yeah, okay. and it was weird also because I think while we were very well off by all standards, like we were, like kind of at the at the lower end of the wealthy people. Right. Like, you know, if that makes any right. sense at all, like there was definitely a part of the town that was was lower, but we were not in the fanciest of fancy like homes and all the other stuff in our in our neighborhood. But we were we were there. We were in it. Um, very interesting to get out from the, under that environment, but not. So what is your relationship with money? I'm get back into you know, we can talk about this a lot, coming from your upbringing and what you were saying to starting to have access to capital, again, have nice things, be able to do other things, and kind of the money doesn't buy happiness kind of thing or does or doesn't it because I'm, that stuff's really interesting to me. This is a, <clears throat> I got to think about that for two seconds. So this is interesting. I'm not either or. Um, we literally had no money. My mom had money. When my parents split up, my mom was uh, an entrepreneur, and she came from a Korea. T- typical story. She came to the States when she was 16, left Korea by herself on her own, didn't know anyone here, um, didn't speak a lick of English, met my dad. My dad was in the Army at the time, and they met in Georgia. And um, she had to, she like literally, you know, you hear these stories all the time. She came here with like 200 or $300. She had to work her, you know, ass off. And so uh, when they split up, she um, had gotten into a couple of um, businesses and she did well and some real estate and some other stuff. And so she had money, but we would only see my mom um, in the summers. I'd go there. And for me, you know, I'm very close with both of my parents now, but I think I'm the closest with my mom because we related more. Um, we could always talk to each other about anything, and we still can, like literally. Um, so many funny stories about my mom. But um, So my relationship with money is kind of, it's kind of this blend. So we didn't have money growing up, and when I met Christina, when I met my wife, um, I told her that, I'm a workaholic. That's the first thing that I, I told her. And, and I wanted her to understand that as much as, um, you know, I loved her and as much as I wanted, you know, you know, kids and stuff like that, that she had to understand that I'm a workaholic. It's not just for the obvious reasons, but internally it can't be helped. I'm diseased. A lot of us are that are workaholics. You yourself, I know this to be true. And we're diseased in a way, and that's not a negative thing. But people don't understand if 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 it brings you happiness and it brings you joy to work hard and for whatever your reasons are internally or personally, it's what it is for you. And that's all I can say about that. I love to work, um, but um, 
also, you know, I love to um, try to keep a balance. So we try to travel a lot. And it's, you know, it's, it's important to point out <clears throat> that we started with nothing. We built um, delicious concepts. And you mentioned Ruby before. Um, and maybe we'll have a minute to talk about mm-hmm. these other enterprises. But um, we built them from scratch. And that's something really cool. I love and never gets old. I love hearing your stories. I love hearing anybody's stories that came, not necessarily from nothing, but um, you know, I was talking to um, uh, you know, a very dear friend of mine, Lawrence Shipley of Shipley's Donuts. Um, a couple weeks ago, we um, we had lunch, and um, if you don't know Lawrence's story, you know he took over um, the family business that his grandfather started. His his father continued to build, and he had a decision to make and you see this a lot kids of uh of enterprise uh family enterprise Mm -hmm. a lot of times they turn against that and i i never knew why and i figured this out a few years ago they turn against that because they are aspiring as well and to live under the shadow of what your parents have done Mm -hmm. and what they've garnered and what they've built is uh, it, it's a very um, uh, tremendous pressure that, yeah. that we don't think about. And so you have a choice. And this is my theory on it. You have a choice. And many um, people that I've spoke to agree um, that, that are in that uh, position. You can, you can feel, in a way, um, enabled because your parents you know, created this greatness. Or, in Lawrence's case, you can take something really amazing that your parents started and you can grow that magically and modernize it and really blow it up a hundredfold mm-hmm. so we well, can run towards it you can run away from it simply you know? put yeah can, so yeah. that's exactly right mm-hmm. and so in lawrence's case he really took something um, that was special and he made it magical and so um but uh we we, we were kind of talking about that and, and again reeling back in getting back to the money conversation um you know, it's it's tough. I promised my wife when we first met that, you know, I was we were broke as shit. Like, I mean, super, super broke. You know, I had a, a concert production company at the time. And this was um, um, uh, like uh, prior to that was was nine one one nine eleven. Sorry. And um, so um, I promised her that, you know, once we kind of got back on our feet, that I was never going back to having to worry about, you know, um, finances and stuff like that. So um, we, uh, you know, we we just worked at it. But at the same time, I want to mention, like, even right now, currently, like, and a lot of people don't mention this, it's all relative. Like, I don't, I worry about shit today, but Mm -hmm. it's on at scale, right? Right. So with with Ruby, it's um, it's a a technology company, and it's the first enterprise that I've ever started that going into it I knew it was not going to generate revenue anytime soon um, we're changing that now and there's super super exciting stuff going on but um, you know funding a technology company uh, for a year year and a half it um, it becomes difficult so um, you know there's challenges with that there's challenges with everything but um, I, I really appreciate money but more importantly, I really, I think I respect it, Greg. I really do right mm-hmm. now. 
um, and um, you know we we give back more as as you would find. Uh, I think naturally most people, if they have a, a certain level of success, and it doesn't matter what your level of success is, mm -hmm. if you're happy um, at your job, your place of employment, you love what you do, and um, you love where you live. Um, and you're able to do things that you find happiness and, yep. and satisfaction in, that's good. That's success, right? Success is mm -hmm. that. Success is not how big your bank account is. Success is how happy you are and how satisfied you are as an individual. Mm -hmm. So I think if that kind of answers it, yeah. To totally. As you've, again, as you've evolved and you've gone through a number of concepts, and I do want to touch on delicious concepts. I want to touch on Ruby, what you're doing now. I want to touch on pink. I mean, a variety of, of different things. And we'll, and we're going to get. Okay. I'm going to stay very focused. I'm okay. going to cover these. I promise y'all. And I'm not going to spend an hour. <laughs> each, each and, hour. and we're going to get, we're going to get there. But has your appetite, I got to ask this too, has your appetite for risk changed? You know, as you've experienced success and failure, over the years, Good um, question, man. Wow. and kind of how you decide to jump into stuff because you made a, a number of really interesting points um, in your in in your last diatribe or whatever we'll call it. No, no know, I that, think that's perfect. About yeah. you know, um, you know, okay, with Ruby, I'm entering a technology play right now in a company here, but it may or may not generate revenue for a while, so I have to think about that in cash flow. I've had some success with this type of concept. I've maybe even gotten out of a concept that I shouldn't have gotten out of that was successful and I could have ridden it. You know, how, how have you changed kind of that appetite or propensity for risk as an entrepreneur? Um, you know, as you've gotten also a taste of success, and you mentioned, look, our overhead changes, our lifestyle changes. We like travel. You know, you like traveling right now. We eat a little bit differently. We got some car payments going on. We yeah. live in a different place. <laughs> Shit changes. You can be just as broke with money, if this makes sense, as you are when you're broke with no money. You know, like lifestyles kind of are interesting like that. Yes. <laughs> um, you can. I'm not saying me or you or anyone yeah. in particular, but mm -hmm. you certainly can be. You can be, um, uh, you can make great plays, you can make great moves, and all it takes is one bad deal or a couple of bad decisions to really, um, you know, uh, shake your shit up yeah. again. And so, and I, th I think it's, it's healthy in a way to go through that because you need to get rattled. We we all need to get rattled every once in a while. And you can't be in this bubble thinking like, you know, nothing can possibly come along and, and rock your shit out a little mm -hmm. bit because that's completely, you know, the furthest from the truth, as we all know. Um, anything can happen any second, any day to, to rock your shit and to wake you up. And, um, you know, recently I've been, I've certainly been tested on that. And, you know, in some ways it's been the most stressful time uh, of my career in the last 10 to 15 years. But it's one thing that I always, I always keep in mind and I always remember is that, you know, I've been pretty damn lucky, man. Uh, when I talk about my childhood and not having money, uh, being in California, I've had tons of opportunity to make money. And I've made a lot, I've made more money than most people um, have the opportunity to do, and that's not bragging. And what I'm going to follow up with certainly won't be bragging. But I, I, I fucked it all off, you know. I mm -hmm. squandered. I mean, you know, 
I used to gamble back in the day. And of course, being Asian, that shit's in our blood. Hey, <laughs> that's a fact. And so, uh, you know, I, I was single in California when I was making decent money. I, I, I sold at, uh, we call them swap meets out there and they're are they flea markets here? But East Coast, they're kind of flea markets. Are I they think. flea markets? Yeah. But I don't like, even know what they call it down here. I mean, I've gone East Coast, West Coast. Yeah, East I think Coast, it's flea, it was market. flea markets. Yeah, West West Coast is swap meets. And when I was in San Diego, uh, at the time they had the um, um, the sports arena. They still have it. The, their big venue out there, and then outdoors in the parking lot. And if you've been to San Diego, everyone knows about uh, Kobe's swap meet. And that's what I did three to four days a week for like three years. And we made a bunch of money out there. Um, of course, I pissed it all away. And in L.A., we had some indoor um, swap meet spaces um, at Slauson and, and um, uh, Compton, you know, uh, swap meets in uh, Compton. And I, I worked part time with my uncle, um, you know, as a as a stalker at one of his uh, kind of convenience slash liquor stores in, in Linwood, which is um, neighboring. Uh, well, it's actually right dab smack in the middle of Compton and Watts. That was an interesting time too. But um, it, um, it's just, it's interesting what you go through. It really is. And you figure it out quickly uh, and you go back and you kind of, you replay and figure out what you, um, what you enjoyed, what mistakes Mm -hmm. you made and you try to, you try to do better. But um, yeah, again, once again, I have no idea where we started, but it's always <laughs> fun talking to you, man. I like the word navigation. Okay. Kind of what it takes to kind of navigate your way through through different things. Uh, so I want to ask you about Pink's also. So you started Pink's Pizza. Yes, sir. Okay. One of the several delicious concepts. You started Pink's Pizza, which became a big success. And, and stop me if I get any of this wrong. You sold Pink's Pizza, and you were either in the process or recently just bought it back. Take me through, kind of navigate through idea to execution, and then also, in a way, maybe kind of selling off your baby, because these concepts are are your children to, your an, to an extent. Absolutely. And then also now, hey, I'm going to... I'm going to get my kid back, <laughs> you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get custody of my kid back, you know, again. That's, that's an awesome okay. way to put it, man. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we are, that's, that's true. So I, I didn't sell it completely. I, I retained, um, I retained a position, uh, with, with Pink's and actually Lola, we, we have a concept, um, um, called Lola on 11th and Yale here in the Heights and cool diner, like, if you live in the Heights, then certainly you've you've heard of Lola. But that was part of our original deal. I don't know what um, <clears throat> what I can mention right now. We're actually uh, we're, we're on a 30-day close for Pink's. So you're right. Uh, three and a half years ago, I sold majority of the Pink's Pizza brand to uh, some really good friends of mine. Well, uh, certainly a, a, a great friend of mine and um, the founder of another um, popular national brand. Um, if you know, you know. If you don't, you will know. But um, uh, the idea was to scale Pink's because uh, I managed as a knucklehead to take Pink's from inception in our first location here in the Heights. Um, original is on uh, 14th and, and Heights Boulevard. You know, <clears throat> spent 
a handful of years expanding that brand somehow, again, robbing Peter to pay Paul and just opening up, um, you know, on a wing and a prayer. And uh, we expanded to seven units, uh, eight, including our airport unit, which we have partners there, as uh, most everyone does in, in an airport situation. But um, so the idea was to really scale this brand. My partners had the wherewithal. They absolutely had the capital to do so. And then, you know, a couple of fucked up things happened, man. This brand on their own started <laughs> expanding aggressively and rapidly. And mm -hmm. everybody got, you know, super busy. And, and, and my boy Ian, you know, just stepped down um, uh, from uh, this company to form his own company with Pinks as the anchor. Um, you know, moving forward in the future. And then he got crazy busy, started hanging around with Snoop Dogg and <laughs> Post Malone and Nelly and all. I mean, you know, that's his business. One of his concepts is Lava Cantina in uh, in Dallas, uh, North Dallas. Uh, where is that at? Plano. Okay. Uh, Legacy. Got super busy. This venue's like just badass. It's, you know, got a full bar, huge kitchen, like huge outdoor stage, indoor stage, um, if you live in Dallas and you've certainly been to or at least heard of uh, Lava Cantina. But literally, he he evolved, his sort of enterprise evolved into running a venue, like mm -hmm. a live music slash restaurant yeah. bar venue, into artist management, artist representation. Now he's he's booking like, you know, 20, 30 date tours and stuff like that. So um, point is, we, we all got super, super busy. And as... Uh, I found out that, you know, potentially uh, they were looking to sell the brand. Uh, I just, I kind of thought about it. I talked to my wife about it, and it was kind of like one of those light bulb moments. I thought, well, shit, man, if we're going to sell the brand, um, I want to, I want, I want my baby back, as you said. You know, I want this kid back because, I mean, I, I love all of our concepts. We've had, you know, I've got such a good team, and, you know, we've worked hard and I love everything about it. But, you know, people would say, you know, earlier in my career, uh, you know, you're super smart, you know, you're genius. And I'm like, hey, no, it's nothing like that. And I would always, you know, my, my comeback would always be if I was really smart, I would own like 50 or 100 pinks or something. And that was when I was younger. And now mm -hmm. I'm a little bit, you know, older, a little bit wiser. And so I do know that I, as I, I've loved everything that we've done, I know that my future right now is with getting Pink's back and really bringing Pink's into the light that it deserves to be brought into, you know, mm -hmm. and seeing how far we can take this brand. And Ruby, again, at the same time, is equally as, as important. So does that answer your question about it, the damn It Pink's does. Um, <laughs> and again, in working with a lot of individuals in hospitality, I've also always found it really interesting, that dichotomy between some owners and operators that can focus on a concept and take that one concept to, to, to scale, you know, multiple locations, could be five, could be 10, could be 20, and just say, listen, I've got something that works. I know the recipe. I just have to keep doing it, you know, over and over again. And then others that are so creatively driven, you know, and the mindset is so different that every concept is different. Okay, I've done Italian. Like, boom. Now I'm going to go do seafood. Then I'm going to go try Tex-Mex. So you know what? I want a fucking ice cream shop now. And I'm just always so amazed by those individuals, by both of them. One, 
the ones that can have the attention and the discipline and the focus to say, I've got something, I'm going to stick with it, I'm going to do this every day, and I'm going to get it to that 50 locations, maybe have my big exit, whatever. And the others I'm equally as fascinated and interested and captivated by to say, you have something that works, it's going great, you could, again, replicate a scale, but you keep consciously choosing to push the envelope and do something, do something completely different over and over again. And it's like, wow, get back to the, to the risk, you know, the willingness to fail, to try. I mean, I think one of them told me one time, he's like, I mean, it's your, you know, you're not really in this business until you've closed the place. You know? Like you're not really in the hospitality business, the restaurant business. Unfortunately, that is a great point. Until you close the place. Like, okay. Like that's when it gets real and just, okay. Shrugged it off. This one didn't work. Boom. And you know, we're pivoting, we're going in another direction. And there's this innate belief that, that you're, they can make it work. You're bringing back all these, these <laughs> memories right now, Greg. Damn you. Well, they ask me. I mean, they turn around. They go, well, how the fuck can you do what you do every day? I, 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 okay. I just find that stuff really, really interesting. I can only speak for myself personally. Mm-hmm. So my story is this. Um, and I, I say this a lot. When we're young, listen, most people aren't going to admit this shit. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to admit it that we all have egos to stroke. I don't give a damn who you are, male, female, young, older, whatever, whatever your occupation is, whatever your career is. We, we all have angles. We all have, you know, agendas and, 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 and motives. And it's about stroking, in a way, stroking our ego. That is a component. It's not everything. It's not nothing, but it's like a percentage. Some people stroking their ego is a very small percentage of their overall composition, of drive, let's say. Mm-hmm. Other people, you know, it's majority. So for me, I don't know where I stand, but I'm, I'm of course going to admit that ego has a lot to do with that. It's a component for yeah. everything that we do. Mm-hmm. And, and your definition of ego, I don't know. We don't need to, like, you know, get into that. But when when I was young, and I think most of us when I was young, um, it's very ego-driven. You look at it today, it's like, <clears throat> excuse me, we opened Dragon Ball you know, 14, 15 years ago, and it was Mosley, right? Gary, the Creek Group, right? Yeah, yeah. Creek, Cedar Creek, and, you know, I give this dude too much credit. Yeah, I do, Gary. But uh, <laughs> I love him. He showed me a lot. Um, he mentored me in a lot of ways. But he, what he told me through his hard work and opening, you know, Onion Creek, which is, you know, right next door to us, he pioneered this shit for everyone. I'm not saying everybody needs to bow down and, you know, you know, kiss his ring or whatever, but these people that pioneer and come ahead of us and open the doors of opportunity for us, you know, they should at least be acknowledged. Yeah. And so when it was Gary and it was really, you know, when I came in um, to the neighborhood, there wasn't a lot going on. There, I mean, there was a lot of cool spots like, you know, I don't know, Java Java and, you know, there was the staples, you know, Spanish flower and Andes and, you know, whatever. But Gary came in and, and he... He kind of brought a, a bigger play. He brought, you know, um, sort of this Austin kind of vibey feel and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, craft beer and, and food and huge patio and stuff like that. So it, it, was oppor- it was opportune for us coming in. But getting back to that, um, when we did uh, the bowl, we, as I mentioned earlier, my, uh, Christine and I, we, we saved up a little bit of money. And then the old Pizza Hut, right, moved locations to where mm-hmm. they still are right now on I-10 and, and Heights. And so this 
awesome fucking 80 foot, 80, 850 square foot space was there. The old pizza hut that was there for, you know, as long as I can remember being in the neighborhood. And my mind was like, fuck, the walk-in's still there. The hood's still there. You know, uh-huh. we can go into the second Jenny space and save a lot of money. I wasn't thinking about a centralized location. I wasn't thinking of all the benefits. I was just like, shit, man, we're, we only have like, you know, a few bucks and we can get in there. And so that took a little bit of doing, but we finally got in there and uh, we opened original, right? We opened the first pinks and then it kind of scaled from there. But, you know, I should have focused on pinks, but hey, that's not what fucking happened, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to either stroke my ego or I had to get the creative juices out, which is another component. And so, uh, you know, we opened, what do we open after, after pinks? I think we opened Lola, which was this. I've got a million fucking concepts, man. I, I literally can, I have a million concepts. And most operators do. You have a million ideas of what you do. To have a, a, have the ability and be put into a position where you can actually maybe, you know, birth a couple of these yeah. opportunities, these mm-hmm. creative juices that are flowing is, is a cool deal. And that's kind of what happened. And uh, we opened Lola. Lola hit, thank God. And then we, you know, opened a couple more pinks. And then I don't know, what what else did I do? We did... um. Uh, uh, I yeah, think ritual well uh, ritual but before uh, ritual it was the El Cantina which mm-hmm. was uh, like we failed I failed miserably like not we I failed miserably and it wasn't because it was a horrible idea and it wasn't because uh, due to a lack of business it was opposite we were overwhelmed I had no idea that we would be that fucking busy uh-huh. and so I got stuck in the kitchen um, and it just, it became just this downward spiral. We could not manage it. We could not control. And finally, I'm just like, fuck it. I've, I've just got to shut this down. Cause it was, we became stigmatized. Absolutely. Because we could not keep up with the expectation of our, of our customers. And yeah. you deserve to fucking go down in flames. If you, if you're swinging big and huge and you're talking all kinds of crazy shit, like you're going to open up this big Mexican restaurant in the neighborhood and, and you're not prepared to do that or whatever enterprise or whatever kind of shit you're going to talk and you're not prepared to to back that up yep. through action, fuck yes. You deserve to get your ass beat into the ground, man. So that's that's exactly what happened. So You win some, you lose some. As you say, you win some, you lose some. And, and it's not the, uh, as they say, it's not the getting knocked down part. It's, it's the getting back up. But we started this on ego, you know? We started a lot of this on ego and stroking ego and right. doing it. And I think... As a component. Yep. I don't, yeah. But you speak confidently, even of the failure, like the transparency, you know, now, like there's ego involved in speaking so openly about the shit that goes wrong too. I mean, and that's got to come with, with experience, you know, and again, ego and confidence to be able to say, hey, I can tell you about the failures because overall, the track record speaks for itself too, man. I'm a professional starter over. I can't, I can't tell you how to succeed, Greg. I can absolutely tell you how to fucking fail. Guaranteed. <laughs> I can give you the whole playbook on that. In the, in the ultimate wisdom and in the words of, of, of harmony of my mom, right? Uh, Korean, my, my beautiful, amazing Korean mother. And who, how you're visualizing harmony is exactly how she is. But... Um, she, she would say it, right? Like, um, what would she say? Honey, baby, uh, how, you, how you appreciate the pleasure 
if you know, experience the pain, yes, with her broken ass English after <laughs> being here in the States for whatever, 60 plus years, right? So love you, Ma. Um, but it's true. Think about this. It seems so simple and we laugh about it, but it's so true. How the hell can you appreciate anything good or experience any type of pleasure if you have not experienced the painful fucking side of that, you know? Like, yep. how do you know that putting your hand in a fire hurts, man? Mm-hmm. Because it feels so good when it comes out of the fire. I mean, I know it seems simplistic, but yeah. it's true. And I think there are different degrees and levels of pain, you know, that you experience too. I think on one hand, you talk about the, the pain of maybe a concept or something failing and having to get up and move on to the others. The second, and it's going to take us way back to the mm-hmm. beginning of our conversation, is the day-to-day pain that you have to endure to continue to be successful. And I want to ask you what your favorite part of what you do is, but also your least favorite. Because when you walk in and you got the earbuds in and you're ranting and raving and I'm setting up some microphones and stuff here, I got to believe that dealing with liability, the Affordable Care Act, all kinds of other bullshit, you know, is not the highlight is of, of what you do every day as an entrepreneur. And, and I don't think a lot of people realize how much, I don't even know if it's worth, how much unsexy real shit has to be dealt with on a day-to-day basis to even give you the opportunity to experience some of the fun shit and the stuff that you like to do. That's a totally different level of pain than failure. That's, that's like, I gotta go to bed, I'm, I'm in pain every day to a certain degree just to be able to experience the joy of doing what I want, want to do. Do you think people miss that too? Like if you've never been in the trenches or an actual entrepreneur or doing what you're doing, I think that gets lost because all we see is the sexy shit you know, now the car you drive, you know, or the photos you put online or people like you see sexy shit and people don't see the realism of like that crap conversation that you have to have while you're driving your very nice car over here. But that sucks, right? Dude, you are so good, Greg. Seriously. How did you prepare for this shit, man? Um, <clears throat> here's the reality of shit. So what I, okay, so kind of first part of that. So what do I really enjoy about what I'm doing and what do I not enjoy about what I'm doing? So I enjoy all of the the obvious shit. Um, I enjoy what I do so much. Um, I live for the week, and I, I mean this. Like the weekend comes and I love it. I get to spend time with the family and stuff like that. And I truly, I've, I've learned to really appreciate the weekend, but... Uh, there was a long time where, and even now, I, I'm so excited for Monday to come because I can really get back in the grind of everything. And, um, you know, I enjoy I enjoy the industry. I enjoy the hard work that everyone puts into it. But you don't get into this industry initially to think you're going to have a life-changing opportunity. Mm-hmm. You get into this industry because you have this inherent desire to please people and to satisfy them on a customer service level, on a hospitality level. That's it. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody's making a mint in this business. You have to have several units. You have to have several, and all that has to go. And here's another fucking newsflash, man. 
you talk to any restaurateur, they don't have some huge bank account. You know, partially what you mentioned, right? And I say this all the time. If you if you want to be like if if you truly think you're a gangster, try fucking getting into not just this industry, but any industry and paying your taxes, being compliant, you know, not fucking, you know, gaming or cheating a system, man. Good luck, because that's true gangsterism, man. If you can really start a business and you can operate a business that's compliant and you're paying all your, you know, taxes and all that shit. But, you know, the things I, I don't enjoy are, you know, the opposite of that. Like, you know, we, re- restaurants, we run on such small margins and you get to a point when you have employees, you know, that, you know, start as 10 or 20, then you get into the hundreds and you get into, you know, some people, thousands of employees. And for you to sleep at night, right? Like I've many times, like many times recently said, fuck this shit, man. Like I literally, everything's for sale, right? Like I will just, I don't give a shit, you know, I'll turn the page, start a new chapter, focus on shit and just try to, you know, you know, spend more time with my family and have more of a balance. But then you think about, um, you think about the people that you work with, all of your employees and Mm -hmm. their kids, you know, and how much they depend on these operations. And that's really what, you know, ask any operator, man, that's what really drives you the most. It's like, damn, you know, you, you feel this, um, you feel this motivation to really maintain this. I mean, you know, we still deal with shit, you know, like we're dealing with like, you know, bounce payroll checks at, you know, a store, you know, last week because, um, oversight of something or whatever this shit's real man you don't just you know rake in all this money and there's piles of cash and i've got shoe boxes you know full of cash you know Mm -hmm. stuffed in our closet or something like that man we've we've done the same thing my wife and i we've sunk every single dollar back into this company um that we possibly could to grow the company um so that we can get here but if anybody tells you they don't experience you know like um, low bank accounts and from time to time, you deal with the ups and the downs. The ups are really good sometimes, you know, and mm-hmm. you can expand and you can grow your company and you can provide employment for, you know, a lot of people and you can experience the joys of success. But there's, you know, this ridiculous shit about you mentioned people posting. And I think you and I talked about this last week. People just posting, oh, like this is my flashy ring, this is my flashy car. And, you know, I've got all this and all that, man. Mm-hmm. That's not real shit, man. And if if you truly were in that position, I think most people are just going to, like, you know, you're going to fly a little bit low under the radar, I think. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. But. I think so. Um, I think, look, I think everybody's but it's different. I mean, I try not to make assumptions, try not to make judgments, you know, try to go around with the four agreements and say, okay, how do we want to live, you know, and keep some blinders on and do all that. And anybody and everybody can do whatever it is. That, that they choose. At this point, I really don't have that much extra bandwidth to be focused on, <laughs> on what, all, right. like, what, what I look for overall is quality conversations and the opportunity to do good work with good people. The rest of it is just a lot of noise Amen. You know, Amen. Out, out there. And that's hard enough, you know, to cut the noise, drown out the noise, try to stay out of the weeds, you know, and, and focus on, on the task at hand couple of more questions for you and then we are gonna kind of wrap this up and then we'll book part two three and four oh, okay Jesus. <laughs> so we can get it done God. we can have some lose your entire uh, fucking audience we can have man. some quarterly Holy therapy shit. it'll be fine it'll be valuable for the two for the two of us um in there you touched on 
a little bit of business with friends when you said you've sold, you know, you've known the people you do business with. You know, you've sold or done partnerships with friends. And now you've even getting into a situation of buying, you know, back and stuff. Have you always done business with with friends? Have how has this worked out, you know? Have made friends, stayed friends, lost friendships? Like what's your perspective and your experience that you've gleaned on on getting involved in business or relationships that personal and professional? Yeah. I have not always been involved um, in business with friends. I, I think at some point, eventually, we all kind of, you know, um, approach this uh, crossroads of opportunity where you you have an opportunity to you know kind of go in business or you know form some type of partnership with a friend. A lot of times that doesn't work out. Maybe some would say most times that doesn't work mm-hmm. out. Here's the way that 100% of the time it's going to work out with me. Going into it, I have a certain level of expectation that at all costs, I don't care if it's a dollar deal or a million dollar deal, we're going to remain friends. That's the most important thing. If you do something, and I say this all the time, if this relationship goes south, it's all going to be on your end. And I mean that. Um, I'm, I'm so positive that what you see is what you get with me you may think you know I'm a decent dude you may think I'm an asshole at first but 10 years from now you're going to think the same thing so I have um, I'm about to um, on on the Pink's deal I've got one partner and uh, we're about to take a big leap of faith it's it's a big deal I think it's a great deal for both of us Um, I've um, got a high level of respect for this individual, and I think it's going to be fantastic for the brand. But we've never done business before. Uh, so in a, in a big way, it's a leap of faith. Our new concept, uh, our new delicious concepts concept is called Millie's in Oak Forest, and everyone's excited for us to open, and we're about to uh, do some crazy shit, you know, very um, innovative pioneering stuff uh, at Millie's, and we're doing it because we truly believe it's going to be extremely beneficial for our guests' overall experience at Millie's. Uh, but, you know, some people may disagree, but um, that's what we're firmly believing and committed on. Um, my partner uh, at Millie's is this incredible individual, longtime super close friend of mine and brother of mine. What's up, Chris? Um, and we're equal partners over there. When I say equal, we're 50-50 partners, and that's the first time that um, I've ever had um, that uh, not majority uh, control. Um, but I know that our, our relationship, Chris and I, is going to continue to grow and continue to flourish because my level of expectation is um, we're, we're both passionate about what we're doing, and I really want um, to have an amazing um, uh, you know, business relationship with Chris. Man, he's mm-hmm. an awesome dude. He deserves it. And we worked so hard together to do something, you know, uh, great, you know, not just for the neighborhood, but we feel, you know, in general for the city. So I'm super excited about that. And guess what? If shit hits the fan, then I'm still going to love this dude. I mean it. Like, I'll, I'll fucking walk away from that restaurant 
if anything weird happened and it's something that we couldn't work out between Mm us because at the end of the day, what's more important? Like, you know, you've had, we've all had probably really good friends and some shit happened, man. Yeah. Caught him, you know, messing around with your girl or something like that or whatever. Um, and then, you know, you end up, you know, not speaking and three, four, five years, 10 years go by. And then you realize how ridiculous that really was. And you're like, damn, man, we had so much incredible time that we spent together. And now uh, we don't speak because of, you know, something, something like that. So that's how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been screwed over. I'm sure I've, you know, when I was younger, screwed people over too. And we all have, but, you know, uh, it's different now. You know, I, I just want to, um, I want to spend time with, as you mentioned before, with people that I love and I respect. And I just want, I want it to be positive. I want to have fun doing that. You know, that's it. Who's your circle? You know, in talking to a lot of entrepreneurs and, and just guys in general, particularly 40s and, you know, 40s and 50s, where we talk about mid, midlife. When we're, when you're, who's, your inner, who's your inner circle, entrepreneurship, and guys can be kind of lonely, you know, in general. We spend so much time on our careers, um, careers, our family, you know, doing all the responsibilities that we, that we get on, and we tend to put our, ourselves and some of our relationships kind of on the, on the back burner. You know? Who's in your inner circle, you know? Are you, do you take the guy's trip, you know? Are you still jamming and playing some music, you know? Like, like what's that all about? We, I, we, I had a band. I mentioned to you before, I had a hard rock band back in the day in Houston. And we had recently, a couple of years ago, did like a reunion show. And uh, we rented out numbers and did full production. I mean, it was kick-ass for the 14 people that were there or whatever. But um, it was, for me, it was a lot of closure. You know, we, our band, um, I think, ended um, uh, and, and kind of a disrupting ending and it was uh, real short and quick. And so there were a lot of kind of unanswered issues. And so I think we, for myself, we had, I had tremendous closure on that and it was fun. You know, if you've, if you're a musician and you've played live before, you never lose that, that bug. You never lose that itch as you would know. Um, but, um, you know, the, the circle is, I try to spend as much time. I mean, this sounds sappy, and I'm sure all the ladies out there, you know, just like, oh, you know, that's awesome. But my my wife truly is my best friend. We try to spend as much time together. When we, as I mentioned, when we opened the bowl, we were literally inseparable. And for a lot of people, that is challenging. You know, for a lot of uh, couples, it's mm-hmm. challenging. Whoever you are, and so. We worked that through, and, and I love spending time uh, with her, with the kids. But, you know, going out with the boys, we need that too. You need the balance. You know, you mm-hmm. need to – we have date night, my wife and I, every Monday. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, baby, that we missed a few of the date nights, but we're getting back on track, as you know. But, um, you know, there's a time uh, that you need to hang out with the boys. You need to hang out with the girls. You need to hang out with the crew or whatever it is. So it's that. But, yeah, I don't have a lot of um, – there's – there's people that um, I've got high levels of respect with, but I think like most people, you know, you don't have a you don't have a, a lot of people that that you hang out with and spend time with. Um, but there's a lot of incredible people that you know I'm very fortunate um, to call friends, and you know that uh, we support each other, and we just everybody's so damn busy, man. Mm-hmm. You just can't you can't do that like we could, you know, a few years ago. Yep. 
It is, it is certainly a challenge. One of those things that is definitely keeping you busy is Ruby. You've mentioned it a couple of times. Um, what is Ruby? What are you bringing to us with, with Ruby? Um, and let's, let's kind of wrap, wrap there. You know, I, I'm a big believer that when you get to know the individual, you know, behind the businesses and, and the restaurants, everything, you know, the food tastes better, you know, and the platforms taste better. Once they get to know the person, it's like, okay, now, boom, tell me what we're actually doing because we want to support you. What's going on with Ruby? Enter elevator pitch mode. <laughs> so Ruby is an app that we've developed from the ground up. And simply put, Ruby allows a restaurant guest to manage their entire experience completely from their phone. Elaboration. You go into any Ruby affiliate you open the Ruby app up on your phone and you immediately start your uh, experience. And what that means for most is you're able to order a beer or a glass of wine immediately and get that going. And in, in, you know, if it's a full service restaurant where you know, they have servers and they're running the food to your table, then uh, you enter your you know table number, your seating position, and it's truly that simple. And it's an amazing app that saves time and enhances your your guest experience. Um, and it, it, it's it's super powerful. Uh, you're able to um, you're able to pace your uh, your visit to the restaurant. We've been at Blackbird. Uh, we've been beta over there for about the past seven months, and it works flawlessly. Um, again, I mentioned that we are um, about to uh, open Millie's in Oak Forest, and we will open exclusively with the Ruby platform. And uh, you'll be able to go in there and, as I mentioned, um, start, start, your, start your visit and your experience. Order a cocktail or order a starter, and just imagine how powerful that is. Um, and to um, much sort of concern uh, people that know about Ruby no we're not um, we're not eliminating the servers we're not eliminating humans and it's going to be completely sterile and robotic what we're actually doing and if you really if you're able to kind of imagine this we're actually enhancing your visit and your guest experience because if you think about going into your favorite restaurant what is the commonality there? And certainly you're not, most of us aren't going into restaurants at two or three o'clock when there's two tables and you're able to potentially get better service. We go there during lunch, we go there during mm -hmm. dinner and everybody else wants to go there at the same exact time. So there's long lines at um, the counter, there's long lines at the bar. And, you know, instead of being able to spend time with uh, people that you're with, whether it's at the table, you're waiting in a line to get another drink, or you're waiting for your server to come by your table so that you can place another order. Well, Ruby allows, again, um, allows you to order at will anything you want, anytime you want. And your method of payment's tied into the app. So when you're ready to leave, you don't have to wait for your check and you just leave. And it's, it's amazing. Um, uh, we have it at Blackbird. If 
come by and check that out. And you, I owe you a lunch at Blackbird, too, <laughs> to check it out. You owe, you owe me nothing, my friend, but I will definitely take mm-hmm. you up on it and, uh, and go there. All right. This has been awesome. We could do this for, for hours. We could do this constantly and consistently. Ken Bridge, thank you so much for your time. Delicious Concepts is the overall brand for Pink's, Blackbird, Ruby, and the soon-to-be-opening Millie's. Best place for people to find you, find the concepts, where should they go? Deliciousconcepts.com, Ruvi.io. I think that's it. Awesome. Greg, you've been awesome, man. I really, really appreciate this, man. It's a blast. I appreciate your time. So great getting to chat with you, getting to know you. Guys out there, men, women, everybody, if you like what you hear, give us that thumbs up. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. Help the midlife male movement blow and grow up the charts. It really, really helps. If you want to reach out to me, gregscheinman.com. You can reach me through there. You can find me on Instagram at gregscheinman. You got ideas for guests. You got things we want to talk about, things we want to cover, things you want to know. Shout them out. We will get to them. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me this week, every week. That's it, Ken. Thanks, man. Can I add one thing real quick? Yeah. Please sign up for Greg's weekly email. It's, It's absolutely amazing. And I look forward to it every Sunday morning. I really appreciate it, Greg. Oh, shit. Shameless plug. Thank you so much. <laughs> I forgot to do that. Midlife Mail newsletter every Sunday with Shyman. You can get that. Sign up. Thank you, guys. Until next week. You've been listening to the Midlife Mail podcast with Greg Scheinman, presented by Ends Group. Ends Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit endsgroup.net. All right, guys, I want to talk a little bit about Mascot Books. They are one of the country's leading hybrid book publishers, and they can take your big idea and transform it into a print or digital book that matches your voice and vision. Whether your story is one of growth, balance, success, or all of the above, Mascot Books will bring it to life. Head over to mascotbooks.com to learn more. I am a big believer that everybody has a story. Everybody's got a book in them. Not just the athletes, CEOs, entrepreneurs, risk takers, but everybody. You know you've got an idea for a book. If you do, if you want to put it out there, head on over to mascotbooks.com. These guys are the best in the business. I have known Naren Ariel and his crew at Mascot Books for years. I've had him on the Midlife Mail podcast. Go back and check that out. We've also had a couple of his authors on the show as well. If you've got that story in you, if you want to be an author, you can do it. Mascotbooks.com. I want to thank these guys for supporting the show. Keeping the midlife male movement growing. Mascot Books. Check it out.